Hello, hello, hello. I think we're live. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is uh, Wellbeing's Real Real Conversations. Uh, my name is Nigel, and it's really good to be with you. This has been a long time coming. What is this podcast of sorts? What's it all about? Well, it's 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 about bringing people together, you know, to have real conversations that that help the viewer to understand about vulnerability, to understand about the impact of what happens when you tell your story. Yeah, when you when you tell your tell tell that story that sometimes we keep hidden, it helps to um, invite a, a, the the viewer to you know go on a journey to you know look at aspects of themselves. Um, yeah, it's it's a sort of we bring in ordinary people uh, who whether they're housewives or whether they're therapists or whether they're celebrities or whether they're sports personalities who just, you know, they, they let us know about the ordinary things that they've struggled with and some of the big things that they've struggled with and how they've found a way through that. And the things that help them through that are closeness and togetherness, you know, vulnerability and other people, you know, because the reality is we all have struggles, we all get stuck and we all need help. So we can't do this thing called life um, by ourselves. So... So yeah, so today we got Dean Powell in the house. We got Dean, and um, Dean's quite a guy. I've known Dean for for many years now. And Dean's an author, an educator, a counselor. He's uh, an addiction sort of uh, specialist in a way, and he works a lot uh, like myself in in the format of group therapy. So Dean's uh, Dean also has a deep musical background. He is. He's led many circles and ceremonies for men and mixed circles. He's run workshops for so many years now. Um, so I'm really interested to see all this. I, I want the viewer to see this man's knowledge and his skills. But moreover, he's had such a profound life experience that's brought him here. He's had this distillation of the real, real sort of life that's made him the man that he is today. And I'm really excited for you to get to experience this um, this diamond of a man and uh, what he has to offer the world. And um, at the end of this, you know, podcast in uh, in the link below, there'll be uh, a, a link to all his uh, websites and uh, information for anybody who feels like they'd uh, value his services. So I think it's time to welcome Dean in. So, Dean, brother. Hello, Nigel. Thank you, bro. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. I was like, who's this guy? I want to meet him. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Thank yeah, you so much, bro. You know, I think you get to see him in the mirror every day, Dean. You know, and mm. you know, even, even that comment, you know, like how often do we do that? How often do we not see our own worth? You know, how often do we sometimes, you know, play down or 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 shining or or um or or beauty? You know, I know I do that and I need people to remind me that, hey, you know, it's okay to, to shine bright sometimes. And so, yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm buzzing here just to be sitting with you. It's This has been a long time coming and uh, yeah. it's just lovely to sit with an elder. You know, he's, I got, I'm, I'm looking forward to learn some things today. So, so Dean, yeah, man, like, um, tell me a little bit about the pivotal moments 
in your maybe let's start at the beginning you know like like in your childhood like what happened or what didn't happen that started you on this journey um yeah interesting interesting question i actually reflected on that not so long ago like an on and like pointed out or, or jotted down some of the pivotal moments in my life and how they've implicated my life and impacted my life and i think ironically the very first you know the original um, moment that shifted things from where that made a massive impact was my birth um, because i was born a twin but they didn't know that i was meant to be there like so they knew they were like having my sister so i think back in the day where there was no ultrasounds um, I was born on New Year's Eve. The doctor had come from a New Year's Eve party, um, like 11:20 at night. So he was in a hurry to get back to the party for the countdown. Um, delivered my sister, put his coat on, and was ready to go. And the nurse said to him, "I think there's another baby here." And, and he, mum said he barreled like he blasted this nurse and said, "Don't you dare say that in front of the patient, you stupid woman!" Like and gave her a barrel. And the nurse said, "No, no, I think there's honestly there's another baby here." Yeah. Um, and so, and, and out I came like 20 minutes later, um, and my sister was kind of big, you know, like normal-sized baby. I came out very skinny, um, and almost like it, it played this part in my life where I realised that I didn't take up space in my life, you know, like where I was always hiding, always, oh no, after you, after you, no, you do that, you know, like and and hiding in the background and making myself not important, not actually taking space. So I realized that impacted my life in a, in a, in a big way. Um, only, only about a year ago that I actually realized how that had impacted me and um, how, how it was also, you know, like everyone else is important and I wasn't. And um, yeah, so, and I didn't value myself in that way, didn't, didn't own my space. And that was really an interesting point. Um, next, I think the next poignant moment I remember is when I was six years of age. I remember running into the lounge to give my dad a hug and a kiss goodnight, yeah? So my sister had beaten me to it. She raced into the lounge. She was giving him a hug and a kiss goodnight. Um, and I remember, the, like, it's amazing. I can remember everything about it. I remember the warm fire. My mum's over sit, sitting over on the side here, knitting crazily the way she did. Uh, Dad's in his lazy boy chair. Um, you know, my sister dove on and gave him a hug and a kiss. She got up, and I went to run up and hug him, and he jumped up, and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, like, stopped in my tracks. And I was like, what? And he held his hand out and he said, this is what real men do. And he shook my hand and I was like, but I want a hug and a kiss. Like, Leanne got a hug and a kiss. And he said, no, no, you're getting too old for that shit now. I was six years of age, yeah? And I remember in that moment, like, feeling this massive disconnection with my dad. Feeling like there's something wrong with me. Like, you know, like, I'm not as important anymore as my sister was you know like she got the hugs and kisses and and then from that moment i noticed this disconnection between me and my dad started to separate my dad he was drinking a lot then and he was a very angry man violent man so then i just started to grow up very scared of him and you know we had this distance and this disconnection and i spent my whole life you know like swearing i would never be like my dad you know i'd never be like my dad um I swear I'm going to fucking, you know, I'm going to be gentle and kind and compassionate and tell my kids I love them. And um, and then I remember one day having my son up against the wall, like had him by the throat up against the wall when he was nine years of age, uh, wanting to punch him in the face. And I fucking realized in that moment, I was like, what the fuck? You know, I've turned into my dad. 
you know, the very thing that I said I would never do my whole life, and I turned into my dad. And in that moment, I realized, fuck, you know, I've got to get out of this, you know, like this conscious mind where I was adamant I'd be like, and there's something else going on here that I've got to find out. And so I started to really dig and explore and, and see what this anger was. Like, I was angry, you know, I was so angry. I was angry that I was angry because I didn't know why I was angry. I was just full of this anger. Um, and yeah, and it led me down this, this path of, you know, like, of realizing there was so much missing for me as a kid. And because that happened with my dad, I started to turn to alpha males all the time, you know, and start looking for that connection, that male bond, that male love. Not consciously realizing this, but um, it was definitely what I was doing. And, and it, I ended up, you know, I'd always usually go for alpha male, you know, like, and I was a funny kid, so I was likable and, you know, I'd hang with the alpha male and then I got involved with bikies and, you know, some heavy dudes got involved with drugs. I became a, you know, a junkie and an alcoholic and, you know, just went, went down a very good moment to pause yeah. there, Dean, just, just for a wee moment, man, because yeah. um, I, my heart's just online right now, you know, just, I just, I need to just speak to some things that I'm, that I'm feeling here, you know, just, mm. just the resonance of what happens when your father's, you know, doesn't, doesn't welcome you, you know, and the, and the, where he can't be with you and where he, and where he can't meet you and how that shapes you and how that haunts you and how that can echo through your childhood and into your adult life if it's not dealt with. And, and how, you know, of course, it doesn't go away. Even with logical, I'll never be like that. And just the pain of, of how that's passed on, you know, and it's, it's, it's not actually yours, but it's yours to work with, you know, it's, it's, so I'm just feeling the heaviness in my heart right now, just really feeling that little boy and, you know, and just acknowledge, just feeling what that was like to have such a, a childhood poverty of not having that deep nourishment of your, of your father's sort of accompaniment of his tenderness, of his interest, his time and his touch, you know, and like, I can just feel that, that, and then of course, one would want to medicate that feeling eventually, which is, you know, I stopped you at the place around addiction and, uh, yeah. I don't know about you, Dean, but I have a belief around addiction, that addiction, it's many things, but one thing is predominant that it's often medicating in either unconscious or conscious pain in the body on some level. Some holding is, is there on some fundamental archaic or historic sort of happening. And so, yeah, that's, if I can segue back into just this, this time in your life where what was your, what, what was the addiction? What exactly was the form of medication then for you? I mean, I think it, it started a long time before I realized, you know, before I literally turned to a substance. Um, like I was, I was definitely using different coping behaviors and, and, um, you know, like mechanisms to avoid realities become really funny um, but it, it really started when I, um, I started to smoke a bit of pot I didn't really it didn't really agree with me so I didn't take a lot of pot but then I started to try other things and it was when I tried um, methamphetamines and um, that I started to really like I noticed the methamphetamines and then alcohol so combining the two especially like it suddenly gave me the sense of 
like I felt confident and I felt, you know, like I, I was funny and I had the sense of self, I guess, you know. But the dangerous thing was it wasn't me that had that, it was this. So every time I needed to be funny or to have confidence or to feel normal, I would have to have this in my system. So, you know, with in the beginning, it was just to go out to a party, you know, like before we go out to dancing or clubbing or whatever, you know, I'd want to have a line and um, or a few lines and then, you know, a few drinks to get primed, you know, before we go out um, and then have all-nighters and, and sometimes, you know, three, four nights in a row. Um, but then it got to a point where, you know, like I, I couldn't even leave my house without having this in the system or even if somebody was coming over. Um, I, you know, this thing just grew, like it took my, it almost stole my confidence away from me. The things that it was giving me in my perception, it was literally taken from me. And I became this former shell of who, of, of my former self, you know, or the shell of my former self. Um, yeah. so yeah. And, and then I just switched from like, it was from drugs to alcohol to, you know, porn, sex, you know, just like I didn't know, it was almost like grasping at anything I could just to just to hide this pain, you know. And I think it's like what you said about this trauma, you know, coming from a place of trauma. Dr. Garbe Mate says, you know, like not everyone with trauma becomes an addict, but every addict has experienced trauma. Um, so Absolutely. It's, just, yeah, coming back to that place is, was really powerful for me. Yeah, and, and Dean, what? What was rock bottom for you that, that you had to make a choice to where well, there was no other choice but to reach out? What, what was that moment like for you? And, and uh, yeah, I want to allow some space for that sort of depth. Hmm. I, had a, I had a couple of rock bottoms. Um, the first one was definitely when I was a, while I was a junkie. So I'd, I was using without my partner knowing that I was using. So I had a partner and, and a couple of the young kids at the time. And because I'd met her, I was using, so she didn't know that I was using. Um, and and she, didn't, she thought I was dealing here and there. She had no idea that I was using and to the point where I was using as much as I did. So I was, I mean, can you imagine the amount of lies that like that takes? I was like, I was lying and li I mean, I didn't even know what I was, you know, what was truth and what was lies anymore. So um, it was, Actually, after about maybe four years, I think, of being with her, the kids were really young. Um, her her cousin was living with us at the time, um, Yankee Rick, and he was a really good friend of mine. And he said to me one night, Dean, if you don't tell Bev that you're using, I'm going to tell her. And I was like, no, 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 man, I can stop, I can stop. I, I swear I'm okay, I'm okay, I promise I'll, I'm not as bad as you think. I'm, I'm, I'm not. And, and he knew, like, that I was just, I mean, I was a mess. And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm telling you. He said, if you don't tell her tonight, I'm going to tell her. And I was like, dude, don't be an asshole. You know, don't be a fucking wanker. Like, and, and you know, started, like, projecting on him and calling him a dog. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I had to tell Bev that night. And, the, and I think back and I reflect back on it. And this guy saved my life. You know, like, this guy, it was the best thing anybody could have ever done for me at that time. Yeah, that hard um, love, man. That hard love. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, wanna, you, keep, you can't let it in. You don't want to believe it. You can't see it being helpful, but it can shape mm. the direction of your life. You know. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. He saved my life, that guy. So I actually pulled my partner into the into the bedroom. I remember this moment where I sat her on the bed, and I remember like I remember her soul breaking in her eyes when I told her. You know, like I could. 
oh, this woman trusted me wholly and solely. And I, I mean, I'd watch the soul break in front of my eyes. Yeah, I can feel that, I, man. Wow. Oh, the fear of losing my kids, losing her. At that moment, she told me to get out. I left the house. And I cried all night. I walked the street just bawling my eyes out, thinking, oh, oh, my God, I've just totally fucked my life up. I've lost my family. I've lost my young kids. Yeah. And ironically, simultaneously feeling probably more free than I've felt in, a, in many years because finally it was like, oh, it's off my chest. That this will set you free. Well, really made sense to me at that moment. Let's just take a moment there, Dean, just to feel the gravity of that, you know, like the, the, the intense sort of overwhelm of the dark soul of the night and at the same time a movement in a new direction that felt relieving, you know, sort of like a, a new possibility was there even though it hadn't formed yet, you know. Mm -hmm. and the unknown, man, of, you know, it, it's that must have been... I'm trying to, as you were talking there, I was trying to feel and like just what it would be like just, you know, you know, walking alongside you, you know, and the importance of somebody at that time in your life. And I'm, I'm curious around what was the steps after that? Like, and, and, and how did you, like, what was the next movement? Like, what was the, what was the buoy? What was the, the lifeline? What was the, the next thing? You had an angel who gave you some hard love. You were, you got, courage and you named it and then it didn't go well and she rejected you in it but then you went off and, and, and got to meet what you least wanted to meet but what you needed mm -hmm. to meet and what, what happened next brother um yeah it was interesting i i walked around crying all night and it was i mean it was interesting the place that i landed um like that i didn't realize like it was the middle like middle of the night and then i was crying i sat on these steps and then the sun came up and it was light and um, I realized this car turned up and it was the pastor and I was sitting on the steps of a church and I kind of turned my back on the church because I was like bored of religious and I was like, ah, I'm not having anyone brainwash me anymore. Tell me, you know, um, and then uh, this minister or pastor walked up and he said, oh, are you okay? What's going on? And I, I, you know, you could see I'd been crying and I just said, oh, look, man, I've just messed my life up. Something. he said, come, in, come inside and have a cup of tea, you know, and he, we went, went inside, made a cup of tea and just started to talk to him and was a beautiful guy and you know he said oh tell me what's going on and i was telling him about you know like i was in deep shit like with, with uh these bikies i owed some big money to these guys and i didn't have the money to pay them back i was using all of the all of the gear i was getting off them and um he, he said to me you've got to you've got to confront them and i was like dude i don't think you understand i can't you know like these guys will kill me and he said look i don't know any other way but he said you've got to you've got to confront these guys you just got to complain and tell the truth and those words were like, oh my God, come clean, tell the truth. It was so foreign to me, you know, like I'd been so used to lying. Um, so, yeah, he ended up, uh, he, he drove me home and um, dropped me off. And it was gone when I got home. I just went in the house, laid down, crashed out. I was, I was wiped out. And then um, I woke up and um, Bev was there. And um, we chatted and like talking about this angel um, previously, that angel who, you know, changed my life by making me tell her, she was this angel who then forgave me and said, look, I can't believe you've done what you've done. 
but you know we'll get through this and i'll be with you while we get through this and you know i'll support you and i'll do my best to stay with you and i don't know how to make sense of this or how we'll get through this but i remember just thinking well talk about a lifeline or a boy it was like how i this like i broke this lady's soul and for her to give me another chance was like wow wow those uh, <clears throat> three angels came your way in in 24 hours man um, oh yeah you know it's the importance yeah. of people right um, how we can't do this thing by ourselves right we, we can't do this yeah. thing called life by ourselves and 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 you know like and when you know when we can start to be truthful we can we can see more clearly and uh you know and and wow that that must have your heart like i'm feeling your heart right now just you know, there's tears there but almost like, felt like tears of joy that you know, you're not alone with it and this is another thing mm. often we think we have to be alone with it yeah we have to feel it but we don't have to be alone with it mm. we need yeah. people Wow. Yeah, and I think that can be one of the traps, yeah, especially of being a man. Like, and I guess one of the reasons I'll talk a bit later about when I run men's circles specifically for this reason is because I think I felt like I had to do it alone and I had to, you know, like everything had to be me. I had to fix it. And then the more I couldn't fix it, the more broken everything got. Like everything I touched seemed to turn to shit. I'd beat myself up and punish myself and isolate myself from people and try and hide what I've done. You know, and then just be even, like it was just this revolving door to hell, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. Wow. You know, I never knew any of that, Dean. I'm like, I'm, I'm so moved here right now just by, again, you know, for anybody who's watching, like, this is what, this is what a man is right now. You know, it's not, it's no fluff. There's no fagalia. This is raw and real. And I think we all got to find ways to be more raw and real and naked in our lives because we're only here for a short time and the quality of connection, you know, like I'm, my heart's buckled. My heart opens when Dean's heart's open. So imagine if you live a life where you just keep opening and connecting with people and maybe not everybody, like you don't go into the convenience store and you're buying a baguette, and, you know, it's, it's not always <laughs> going to work, but it would be nice if you could, but just, just the fun. <laughs> that would be a nice baguette if that was always the, the case, but, but the sweetness man the sweetness that i feel right now that um wow this is this is beautiful and so walk me through just the the, the next sort of steps man that 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 that, that you know the, the the real journey of uh you know of, you know of coming back to the heart you know yeah thank you sorry um it was like the we we decided that I need help. So Bev said, look, you gotta go and get help. And um, we went and visited an addiction center. Um, I spoke with a counselor and um, I mean, honestly, I think I just, I don't know if I wasn't ready to stop then or, or this guy, just like I didn't connect with the guy at all. You know, like I felt like he, like he was like he shamed me like in front of Bev and I they put me down and it was just like this I was like this is the war I feel even worse after the session and I said to Bev I'm never going back there like I'm not going back there I'll do this on my own I swear to God I'll fucking I won't be using it anymore and I'll I'll do it on my own and um 
she said, well, you've got to do it. Like, there's no going back. And I was like, no, I promise, you know. So I um, I got myself clean. Like, um, I, you know, I got, a, I got a job again. I hadn't worked in about, you know, four years because I was getting, by, you know, like feeling. So um, I started trying to get myself back on track and started to feel good about myself again. Um, and then three months in, I ended up uh, running into a guy who um, had, you know, who I used to deal with. And, and and get gear off and then um, he gave me a bag and I was like oh, I'll be alright I'm fine now you know three months in I deserve it I've been really good so it was that reward you know I've been good I'm, I'm sure I'll be fine I've got control of this again and I, I hit it again and I hit it from the place this is I think one of the things about relapse is not starting slowly again and building up but starting back where I finished off and then hitting it even harder um, and then I just I hit it hard again and kept it from there. Um, we'd already planned in that time to leave Australia and move to New Zealand because I just had to get away, you know, like, I mean, everyone I knew had this stuff anyway, so I, I convinced her to come to New Zealand and she didn't know why, she didn't know I was using again. Um, I ended up all the money, like we sold the car and furniture and stuff to be able to go to this, so I'm taking my young family on a trip, you know, to, uh, overseas to go and live, and I'm just blowing this money, like I'm driving and putting it up my arm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've got like my beautiful Ford Fairlane up my arm, and you know all this uh, crazy, crazy things that I did. So um, I remember the very last hit I had of my like the shot I had was when I we left. We were at the airport, at Perth Airport. I went into the toilets um, and had my last hit of my life, and like chucked my bag, my pouch with all of my stuff in it, in the bin at the toilet, and that was the very last. Um, yeah, the very last hit I had of, of drugs. Um, and then we went to New Zealand. But then I just switched to drugs for alcohol. I didn't know there's a thing called transference where you swap one for the other. Because I hadn't dealt with the trauma yet. I hadn't dealt with the void, the missingness that I kept was trying to fill, you know, the escape. So, yeah, and then I became an alcoholic, sorry, for like five years in New just Zealand. Just a, a little pause there, Dean, and just to like, you know, like... <clears throat> So many people, you know, I come from Ireland and, uh, you know, you know, sometimes people might use food as addiction or they might use sex as addiction or work as addiction. They might have give up the alcohol, but they might have focused on the, on the overworking or going to the gym or going to, you know, overeat or, or sex or whatever it is, you know, there's, it's, there's a way in which if it's not resolved, it'll be pasted onto something else. Something else will be used as a form of either prescriptive thinking or medicating on some level. And and it's so seductive because on one part, it's it's actually you're getting more, I suppose it's like sophisticated. It can get sophisticated after a while or, or you can put it into like alcohol, which is very socially acceptable until it really mm. becomes really not socially acceptable. Um, mm. But um, I'm really curious about you know, how long did the alcohol um, go on and uh, how was your relationship at that time with Bev? Um, the dangerous thing there was I colluded Bev into it. So like as I knew the drink that she liked, you know, UDL cans. So I would and buy myself like Jack Daniels, you know, like so I was colluding her in, which made it easier for me to then drink. And then we both became alcoholics, which was really dangerous when you know, with the young kids, you know. So we kind of did this party lifestyle for for a couple of years, and then she decided like I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, 
what do you mean? Come on, no, we're having a good time. You know, like clutching, no, don't, don't leave, don't, don't go. Um, we can still do this, we're okay. And and she was like, no, no, we're drinking way too much. This is crazy. We've got to, you know, we've got to, we've got to think about kids. And so she stopped drinking. I carried on. And um, I remembered, like, I'd drag her and the kids to parties and, you know, like, and they'd want to leave. And I'd be like, ah, you, you know, you kill joy. And, you know, why do we have to go home? And then on the way home, having a fight because I want to stop at a bottle shop on the way home, get more booze. And she's like, I think you've had enough. Don't tell me I've had enough. You know, who do you think you are? I just want to have a drink. You're just trying to kill my joy. And, yeah, it was, it was really horrible. Um, but then I realized, you know, like I, that I needed to shift something and change something and that I was, I had this addictive personality. So I started to swap my, I mean, addictions, like you said, or like, um, for better quality addictions, but they were still addictions. Yeah. I became a gym junkie. I was going to the gym like seven days a week. I mean, I had the most ripped body of my life and, you know, but I still felt broken inside. Like I, I there was still this missingness, this void. So all of the behavior of the addiction was still there. I still yeah. couldn't connect with people. I was still hiding. So Dean, um, how did you get out? How did you find a way through? What was that um, next step to being able to live a life that at least was cultivating sober thinking and sober living? Look, I think the biggest change came for me. I did this um, this workshop in in Perth in Western Australia uh, with Mitchell J. Behan NJB seminars. And it, like, literally shifted my, like, changed my life. It was like a, with this, he calls it an equilibration process. And it took me back and, and, and showed me, like, he showed me everything in my life in, in a matter of, like, you know, an hour and a half session where, you know, he said, you're just not clear with your dad. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you, you, you're missing this love and this, you know, that you've been searching for your whole life with your dad. And I, I didn't understand what he was talking about so much, but I was all I just remember thinking was, if you knew my dad, dude, you wouldn't fucking get him either. <laughs> he was abusive. He was an asshole. What are you talking about? He said, you don't get how much he loved you. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? So anyway, I went into this workshop with him, and it completely shifted my reality. I was like, I remember laughing and crying simultaneously. And I was laughing because, you know, it was so stupid. It was so simple and so obvious, you know, that I, I didn't get it. You know, like, and then I was crying because... I'd made my whole life about this one little story that my dad didn't love me and that I wasn't good enough, you know, and, and, and everything I'd done in my life was from that one little story. And the story was bullshit, you know, like my dad wasn't shaking my hand because he didn't love me. You know, he wasn't telling me I wasn't good enough in that moment. My dad had heard something at work. He was homophobic, you know, like, and he didn't want to cuddle his boy or body coddle his boy because he didn't want to get beaten up as a kid, you know, like, oh, he knew I was super sensitive, he was always trying to toughen me up, and it, when I got that, I was like, oh my God, you know, it just shifted my whole reality, um, wow. and that was the beginning, I think, of, of my, you know, my journey to looking in and discovering what else, you know, was a lie, what else I was missing, and how do I give that to myself, and start to, you know, start to nurture this kid inside, and start to give him everything that he's been missing. Wow, man, you know, uh, well, so that's when the journey started, you know, that's the, the moment when you started to give to your self the, the sort of, the sort of the, the love that you thought you weren't getting from your dad. And, uh, or there was a starting to kind of explore that little boy a little bit more and, uh, accompany him, be with him, notice and, and grieve a little bit and feel a little bit and reshape your thinking around 
a different story, uh, you know, mm. to really, really be, you know, and uh, that's, that's, I think at, at, at pivotal times in everyone's life, there's an invitation to, you know, rewrite the script, you know, there's an invitation to deepen, there's an invitation to be accompanied and it feels like, wow, what a, I just get a little bit of tingles thinking about that workshop for you and it and, and how that you know just kind of started started the the journey of of your shining man your uh, uh, sort of coming back to who you really are and um, not this not this version you know and so then man what what was the journey next what was what when did you well I suppose I'm really curious but when you you realized that you had an ability or a gift to be with people. Yeah, that's a very interesting question because I hated people. Like I couldn't handle being with people or around people. They annoyed me um, until I actually realized it was because I didn't like myself and I annoyed me. And um, But after I did this, like this was so profound, this shift, I was like, I got to find out more about what's going on here. So I stayed with these guys, MJB seminars, and I, you know, in the beginning, I just like I, I did every workshop and um, I, then I started to help them. I'd go in and you know, just set up chairs and tables and help them with logistics, make teas and coffees for them. I just stuck to them like a fly on a bagel, you know. I um, and and then I started to get really good at the work and um, really starting to get a sense of it's like cutting edge quantum physics, quantum mechanics, you know, the human behavioral techniques. So um, I really started to. I mean, I'm not a slow learner. I'm a fast forgetter, you know. So I, I needed to keep going and you know, like, and just have to put it back and like apply it into my life. But I started to realize. Um, you know, it was like it was amazing stuff when I when I applied it into my life. So just having the knowledge was enough. You know, like it didn't do anything. But when I started to apply it, it's like wow, this it really makes a difference. And and people start to notice this shift and change in me as well. And then when I'm shifting, I'm giving them something different to respond to, which gives them something different. You know, like then they change. Like so, we all started to realize this, and it was amazing. And then Mitch actually said to me, "You went through that addiction journey." You know, for a reason. Go and find out what that reason was. And I was like, what? So I went into this rehab center as a client, even though I hadn't used, I was clean for 15 years. Um, and I just was like, okay, well, I've been through this for a reason. Let's go and see what it is and if I can give back in some way. So I went to this addiction center and I remember the very first time and I sat in group. Um, this, it was a men's group. And I remember there were these guys there, you know, who were mandated from jail and there were other, you know, like junkies and alcoholics and and I just remember sitting there going, I don't belong here. I'm not. I'm not this anymore. I don't, I don't use. And I was like, Dino, you've got to come. You've got to come at least two or three times. And you know, like, and so I went two or three times. And then it was on the third time, where I remember looking at these guys going, I'm fucking no different to these guys. I am these guys. You know, these are the unhealed parts of me that I haven't met yet. Um, and then I realized how you know, in this group, it was like a I think 12 week group that I did in the beginning. It really gave me an understanding of how I'd got to where I'd got, you know, like an understanding of family dynamics and coping behaviors and not having not having set boundaries and self-esteem and love and all of this stuff, you know. So it really gave me this understanding of why I became a junkie and an alcoholic and, you know, what was missing in my family and, and why I was perceived. Hmm. You just cut out a little bit there, Dean, but it's, you know, I just want to, I was going to invite you to take a little pause. So I just, man, you're speaking my language right there. You know, like, you know, like, well, first of all, when are we not in group? 
you know, when are we not in groups? You know, we're family groups, we got, we got friends groups, work groups, gym groups, hobby groups. We're always in groups of people, you know? And, but when you step into a group, like a therapy group, which is what I've grown as a man so much, and it's the work I really love to do with others. But when you step into a group, like the way I remember in high step into my first group, and you get to meet these, you know, it's not like individual treatment, but it's like this group as a whole that's 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 been worked. There's these common threads, these these sort of reflections, these disowned parts of yourself that are residing in the in the faces and the gestures and the non-verbals of other people and then their and their behavior and and uh, just yeah, just and, and then you, you get an opportunity to to get feedback of how you're perceived in a way where you can't help but digest it, you know, and mm-hmm. and then other parts of the world you would just like, you know, like just run away or avoid it. So yeah, when I hear you talk about it, I didn't know that was uh, one of your early experiences. And, you know, I, I kind of, I understand the part that is uh, in denial and defensive that says, I'm not that, I'm not that. Look at those, you know, the grandiosity that we all have as people, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm better than. No, no, we're all the same. And uh, mm. and then to drop in like that was quick four 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 sessions and you had you had caught it. It took me almost mm. a year. So I, I'm a slow learner. I'm a slow beginner <laughs> as well. But um, wow, man, wow. So that was your first twelve week experience. That you know, did you know at the end of that? Because I knew after a year that that's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I had got so much out of it. I stayed in the group for four years, and uh, you know, with men being real, being vulnerable, being being naked, uh, being, you know, just really able to go into those places and be held with others, you know, in mm. the darkest of the sadness, the loneliness, the, you know, all that, all that stuff that was boxed up and boarded up and hidden. Um, so yeah, like I'm curious after those tw- 12 weeks when you started to maybe enjoy people, you know, at this stage, um, <laughs> Did you get the bug then? I, I'm curious, did something spark? It did actually, yeah. I did like I you know, like there was so much growth and learning in that in that twelve weeks. I was like, wow. And and then I think I realized um I did I stayed on with these guys and I did a training with them, like a facilitation training, and then I um I volunteered with them and started to, you know, run groups because they had the volunteer program where you could go through and do this training for free. And then, you know, do, I did all the suicide prevention trainings and all these things. And, and I volunteered for a while there and I started to realize that, wow, for the first time in my life, you know, like it was just my experience, my journey was valuable. And it gave me the sense of like a, this new sense of self and sense of purpose of like there was nothing I had to kind of know or I remember one of the, one of the best times I remember sitting, I was in a panel of you know like doctors and psychiatrists and we're in this big auditorium full of people um, and we're there to talk about mental health and I remember sitting there not in a cocky way but you know sitting there thinking there's nothing that anybody can ask me that I don't know like I mean if it's something they ask me and I say look I, I don't know that's not my experience but it was I wasn't scared in the sense that I'm just talking about my life you know it's the easiest thing to talk about because I can't get it wrong you know so I remember thinking wow this is really cool and that value, I mean, in the in the rehab center, that you know, I started to run groups, and I and 
and guys really connected with me. You know, I started to run the men's groups, and then I did, you know, couples groups and um, family groups, and it was like, um, and then parents, and it was like I started to have this real cool connection with people, and it was just because I'd been through what I'd been through. You know, and I realized that was that the training that I did was being a junkie and being an alcoholic and, you know, like a, that, that was years of training. And I'm, I started to get really grateful for the low points, you know, for those rock bottoms that I got to because it was those rock bottoms that enabled me to be able to connect with these people that I was sitting in front of and sitting in circle with, you know, like I started to be able to really relate. Yeah, man. You know, when I hear you talk about that, about the, the sculpturing of the self whenever there's a you know a, a trauma that's you know been avoided through addiction and you know where you know like the the bravery on some level the sort of uh, brilliance of it in a way where it can it can bring you into a deeper place of existence than people who have uh, normalized addictive tendencies you know where it's like it's not as bad but you get a fast track into like really getting to know the different dark, separated, disowned, uncomfortable, painful, lonely, hurt parts of the self in a way that really shapes you. And and then for you then to come out of that distillation process, well, it's a lifetime of distillation and, and getting to know and, and being with the self. But then to be able to be able to be, I'll use the word love loosely here, but loved for who you are, not because of what you do, you know? Like how mm. often do we think that we are going to be loved by working, over overworking, or, or by like overdoing, overcompensating? You know, I'm someone who's always battled with that by, by needing to be more. But to be loved or to be appreciated just for who, who, who you are and for that to shine, mm. I'm seeing you shining again, man, in amongst all these psychiatrists and psychologists, because you've really lived a life, and that life, you can't, you can't question it. It's real. You've been into the dark, and when you're in the dark and you meet someone in the dark, you can say, "Hey, I know where you've been. Let me sit with you for a while. I know what it's like here," and you be with them, and that's what a lot of people need is accompaniment. It's very yeah. hard to go there if you've never been there. Yeah. I feel that man. Wow, what a what a what a, what a, what a realization. Yeah, and so blessed. Yeah, like it's interesting that you said that. Like I literally yesterday had a young kid struggling, um, and I was at just the you know like I love that I was able to just do that, just like you exactly we just said to be with them and go. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly where you are. Um, I know, you know, like, and, and not tell him, but, you know, just to be with him and let him feel me there, you know, um, and him, him saying, oh, my God, you know, like, it's so nice to have somebody actually understand what I'm going through, you know, because in his perception, like, he was just getting judged and, you know, blamed and beaten from external sources, you know, like his dad, you know, like, um, just not feeling like he could talk and be honest and be open and. You know, so to be able to be feel safe enough to do that with me, and I was like, oh my god, you know how how fucking blessed am I that I get to do this with this young kid? You know, make a difference in his life, and that's what I, you know, when I was going through the rehab center, I I, I thought, you know, my journey, if my journey can help one other person, and I remember actually a poignant moment actually, and the this guy came back, and a few months later he came back, 
and we stood up in the in the group, you know, like in the presentation one day, there was a presentation before group. I gave the presentation, he stood up and said, Dean, I just want to say something. There was something you said maybe four months ago, and it was that one thing that you said that made me go home and change my whole life. And I was like, wow. And he was in tears, and he said, I went home. He said, my partner and my kids had left me. And he said, that thing that you said, and I don't even know what it was now, but he said, that made me fucking shift my whole perspective of what's going on and i went and got my fucking family back he said thanks to you he was an irish guy actually really cool dude and i just remember that moment going holy fuck you know like i just made a difference in this guy's life on one little thing that i said wow yeah, yeah you know what <clears throat> i think this is a, a good thing for our viewers to to understand as well is that you know it's not about fixing something you know mm. it's not about problem solving it's not actually sometimes if someone's in deep, deep trouble about, you know, trying to get them off something at the end of right away. It's just like what they need is somebody who's just there. Mm. You don't have to give them unsolicited advice. You don't have to alter their state, although we often do because it's confronting, you know, because it's very hard to sit with someone in their distress if we haven't sat in our own distress. It's, it's mm. kind of very difficult to do that. But that's what people are for, where we can slowly learn to practice what it means to be with people, to really be with them, to, to have meaningful connections with them, to you know, to sit sit around the table and, and, and share something that's that's been been hidden or held or that's weighing us down instead of trying to be the champion and and, and brave our way through it. So when I hear you talk like that, Dean, like I think that's fundamental. Uh, a great message for everyone is just the importance of um, accompaniment to really accompany another person. And that's just being with them, being with ourselves and sitting with someone and just being with, being in that sort of connection, resonance. There's lots of things you can call it. But yeah, man, well, that was a lucky man. See what you do. We had an old Sufi teacher one time and she was a bit wild. And uh, she would often say that to me. She says, Nigel, sometimes you do without doing and everything gets done. Just show up as you. You know, that's what she used to say. You know, I didn't know what the hell she meant. It was a long time ago, but I know now, you know, just be that. you, just be there. Yeah, and, and, and what you said as well, like in terms of, I realized and that, in that period of time that I could only actually be with somebody or sit in front of somebody or with somebody to the extent that I could sit with myself. Like I could only go to the degree with them, the degree I can go to with myself. Yeah. So it was, and then it gave permission. Yeah. I did a, I did a, I did a paper one time on the, the difference between compassion and collusion. You know, we can only real be really be compassionate or like really deeply empathetic with someone if we've been there ourselves. Otherwise, we collude with them, their defenses, you know, because we just don't know. We don't know. We we act out, but we're trying to be helpful. But it's, you know, it's it's, it's such an it's such a a cooking process life sometimes where we learn these skills of being troubled, having challenges, you know, overcoming them. And then unbeknownst to ourselves, six months, six years later, we can help and just be with someone who's, who's struggling, uh, maybe with a different thing, but with the same emotion, you know, you can be with them. Um, mm. So yeah, man, that's, that's what it's all about. So Dean, I'm also really, really, um, so I'm, I'm getting the flavor of how you, the momentum of your life's starting to move now. 
So let's move a little bit more fast forward just to really understand about how the educational part came on, how the, the group therapy came on, how, and, and by the way, uh, uh, Dean's author, also an author. I want you to speak about that as well, Dean, a little bit about your book here. So yeah, man, just in your own way, just let us know about how you've like closer to the present or what has got you to where you are today. Um, yeah, yeah, so I think the, the book actually came out of that, like I realized in that moment, if I could help this one guy, then I want to tell my story. And I've never, in my perception, I'm not a writer, you know, like I never felt like I was a writer or, you know, like I didn't even think I could write a book, but I just wanted to tell my story and my, my thought process in doing that was if I can help another person, one person, you know, by sharing my story, then um, then I've got to put it down and I've got to get it out there. And I mean, it's, I've since heard amazing testimonials and, you know, incredible feedback from people who've read the book. Um, but there was like, I remember writing the book and there were, you know, this, I had to tell everything. Like the whole thing was about me declaring everything to the world. And I, you know, every time I edited my book, I'd re-edit it and re-edit it. And then I'd, do, I'd leave some things out because they're really embarrassing and things I didn't want people to know. I was like, no, 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 Dean, if you leave that out and that was the one thing that might have helped that person that you wanted to help, then what's the point of writing the book? So the idea of the book, I think it was it was very empowering. It was very cathartic in writing. I cried, I think, every time I read it and, and re-edited, I was in tears. And it was a very cathartic process. It took me about five years, a long time. Um, but it was one of the best things I got to do, like in terms of, you know, sharing sharing what I do. It's called Shoot Up. Yeah. Um, and shoot up in many, many ways. So. Wow. Mm. Wow, it's, it's, such a, it's such a sort of journey in writing a book anyway. But, you know, it's, it's like you're revealing yourself in, in a very vulnerable way with, a, with any sort of writing to publish mm. it. But then to reveal the, the dark crevices of your inner landscape with the world and so that another person can realize and maybe resonate that he's not alone in those moments it's like that's the that's the bridge right there and 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 what it would take to be able to do that like what it takes to be that naked you know like i'm curious to, about that question like what like what has to happen like you've displayed here today just this beautiful vulnerability of what i feel a man is and you know, I suppose I have a memory, Dean. I have a memory uh, of a time when I first met you, and uh, and it was and it was really I never told you this. Um, so you had had your heart broken by somebody, and it was you know it was in our familiar restaurant that we that we used to both join in and also work from upstairs, and uh, <clears throat> and I remember seeing you really in the pain like i saw you in the pain of the emotion and i went upstairs and i cried too because i was like man i, I had just arrived it wasn't so long ago here on the island and it was just very moving to see a man being that real and 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 it just it's always stood with me you know like you there was that that embodiment in you and you know and so so i suppose the the question is what what is it what is it that that helps a man be open, vulnerable, authentic, and we all know, I know there's many answers to this and it's, it's not just well, a simple yeah. question, but I'm curious to hear what, what your, what your lived life, your lived experience has, has brought that to, to the way it is today. I think the simple answer of that would be like my old mentor and the, and my, and the, um, my supervisor actually in the addiction 
what is your secrets? And then when I wrote the book and I told all of my secrets, I remember having this feeling of, wow, there's nothing that can hurt me now. Like there's nothing anybody's going to find out. And I started to realize there was this massive power and there's nothing, you know, that they can use against me in a sense. You know, like if I just let them know what, you know, what what is. So I started to, you know, like realize I'm not, I don't have to hide anything. I can just be me. And then in running the men's circles, you know, like I think a couple of powerful things. And you know this, like I think one of the most powerful things happens in circle is when, I mean, first of all, for me, when I started to share and hear myself say these words out loud in and, you know, like to be witnessed saying these words, but especially by a group of men, there was something magical that happened there where it was like, oh, my God, I just said that out loud and I just said that to a group of men. But then there was also this magic that happened when these guys resonated and actually shared resonance and, and made me realize, fuck, I thought I was the only one going through this and realizing that I wasn't alone. So there was this double whammy of this was amazing, you know, like, and I started to really, that's where I love this group, the group process, you know, like in the um, men's and, and, and you know, the men's work, especially I feel men, you know, we're behind the eight ball as far as like sharing emotions and being vulnerable and connecting and opening up and women have been doing that for a long time and, and, and I mean, in different ways, but I think, you know, having that space, but then also opening up a space for next circles where we get to then take that and, you know, be together with you know, in union with the with the feminists being really powerful as well. But I, yeah, I love the I love this the group power. You're like, and I run men's circles online and in person now, and um, yeah, this magic that happens. And guys, you know, like when it happened um, the other night, where this guy just said, "Oh my God, just saying that," I didn't even realize I could say that out loud. And having you guys hear me, you know, watch me say that, he said, "That was amazing." Like he said, "I've never told anyone that in my life. This feels amazing." Yeah, so I love that. Yeah, it's so much lighter whenever you can let it go, you know, or even not even let it go, but just let someone be with you in it. You know, it's 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 and to see the ripple of how other people might be holding and with your op opening, they get in touch with it too. this domino effect of the heart, right? This domino effect mm. of the heart. I remember you have I'm, I'm, I'm having this memory again of um, my first ever group holding and um, you know, it was, um, I was, I'm, I'm a naturopath as well, for those who don't know me. And I have, uh, I'm a therapist and a, and a group therapist for about 14 uh, uh, years as a group therapist and 15 years as a therapist. And my very first group, uh, I hadn't been trained in group therapy and I was uh, in a, my naturopathic clinic in Dublin. And I had just seen all these people with different troubles, you know, and I said, well, let's just put them all together in a group, you know, so we had 65 people on a residential program, all doing, wanting to talk about their feelings. And here's me in the middle of it, not knowing what I was doing, but just knew that somehow innately we all had to come together. And of course there was bales of straw and there was lumps of hickory and it was just a bit wild, you know, and uh, and there was expressiveness and there, <laughs> there was vulnerability. But I remember one pivotal moment, you know, and, and this is what I think people do sometimes, and I definitely was uh, a candidate for that, was, you know, working out of my deficit, you know, working out of my deficit, not really integrated. You know, I was working from this part of me that I wanted to give them all what I never had. And I did that a lot at the beginning as a therapist. I really wanted yeah. to overextend and overcompensate. I wanted to, you know, that I really wanted to give them, and I thought that would help, you know. But here's me in the middle of this 
massive circle with 65 people like being feeling a bit of an imposter to be honest but it was working on some level but i remember the moment i said wow you know i need to be in group i need to be in a small group where i am being held the way that i'm holding these people because in this moment i'm feeling like I'm selling myself here and I'm ill-equipped, you know, it's like something just was out of balance. It just didn't feel right. But yeah, man. And then the journey of what happens, you know, that's pretty much the, I didn't know that, but that's, that's one of the ways that I started to open up, started to be real, started to be vulnerable. Whenever I was in my men's group, uh, it was, you know, I got new mentors. I had people like I, I was surrounded. I'm, I'm from Northern Ireland. So we had a lot of, you know, pollution of our minds, you know, troubles, wars, sides, separation, you know, all of this uh, sort of uh, embedded, you know, I remember as a, in high, high school as a, or in primary school, throwing a machine gun on my book, you know, and the, and the teacher said, what's that? I said, oh, it's, it's cool, you know, and I said, thank you. Like, that's just what was in the air, you know, there was just this sort of violence. Yeah. So I never really had a lot of really vulnerable men because maybe a lot of men may be watching here at some stage, whether live or uh, afterwards, saying, well, it's not safe to be vulnerable. It's not safe to be, to be authentic. You know, it's, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta, cowboys don't cry, Dean, you know, it's, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of men, a lot of women, you know, it's, it's, it's better to hold it in. And all these outdated things that are handed on to generations and from societies that, that shape us. Mm. And yeah, they shape us, but they need to be challenged. And it's great to come into spaces where we can find ways to, you know, to really reshape those uh, distorted old hand-me-downs that don't fit anymore and don't serve us, you know? And, and so, yeah, man, I'm, there's just so much coming up here for me, just the, the, the aliveness of what happens when you're with people who see you, you know, really see you, you know, and like, and, and, and how that feels, wow, it feels like you belong, right? Like how often do we need that simple thing, a sense of belonging? You know, like we all, I think it's, it's, it's the thing we all want and search for. And, and a sense of, you know, of, of being valued, you know, and to belong somewhere is uh, fundamental. And uh, I think a lot of people miss it in, uh, in their lives and they walk around, they ghosts sometimes, uh, busy in themselves and being an isolated sort of ways of being. What I mean by that is they may have lots of people around them, but they can isolate emotionally. But yeah. this thing called belonging that I'm sure you've experienced in, in, in your group programs and I've seen them when, you, when when you bring people together and people tell their stories and they get real, that just comes, right? That just, it comes in time. It's like even the, the people who are kicking and screaming, but after a while people melt when people be real with one another. I'm curious about your, your experience with that. Yeah, same thing. I mean, and ironically, like you're saying about like the thing that we crave the most is that intimate connection and intimacy and belonging. And yet it's the thing we avoid like the plague like it's the thing that we use everything to you know all of the defenses to not go there but when we do go there it's like wow this is what i've wanted this is a thing i've been longing for my whole life you know and um yeah you're right it's like when we when we allow ourselves to to do that like i think there's this amazing like i mean i have an amazing network of you know the people that i've worked with where they they feel safer with 
safer with each other than they do with their own families because it wasn't safe for them to share and to be open and to be held and to be seen like this with their families and it still isn't for a lot of them because i mean and because some families and you know parents weren't taught how to hold that space and how to how to you know be in that way um only because they weren't taught not, not because they didn't necessarily want to i remember you know as a dad like i've got um i've got four kids and a grandson and I was given the opportunity, so after having my son by the throat and I raised my two older kids um, and, you know, as not a very good dad, but then I had a younger daughter and I was given the opportunity to parent her completely different, which was an amazing, like a gift from God. And then we didn't actually know her name was Shaylee, and it wasn't until a few months after we'd named her that I realized, we found out her name means gift from God, um, which was really cool. So. Um, and I sat the other two down, the older two, and I said, look, I'm going to parent her differently than I parented you. Not because I love her anymore. It was just because I was completely ignorant. I had no idea what I was doing with you guys, you know. And then they helped, you know, parent this, this kid. And this, like she has such an amazing sense of stuff. And she taught me so much about being a parent, you know, about patience and, and letting her be a child, you know, instead of trying to smack that out of her, um, letting her be her. Um, yeah, I just want to pause there. Um, like, that's such an amazing point that you've made because, um, you know, how important it is to have support. Like, the journey you had in, you know, in, in the support of uh, therapies and techniques and gatherings that you attended that started to really reshape, you know, your mind and open your heart to you and to the world and I suppose engaging in life which I think is the the next biggest thing we could have a whole month's podcast just talking about engagement you know and how we I think I'll I'll, I'll make a note of that because that's something which I would love to return to with you and but this this place where you know um how it's so important as parents to be to have support you know uh, it's not easy being a parent some parents try to be perfect parents and all the parents just are not in the building you know they're good people but mm. they don't know how to be with their kids and so it's just you know just to all the parents out there i just i'm a parent myself i have a beautiful three-year-old daughter she should be sleeping right now uh her name's sky but um and a beautiful wife who's probably watching just a hello to lisa um but to really like you know like like i need support you know mm. for me to be a a good husband for me to be a good enough father a good enough mm. fa father mm. i need support i need to be with men i need to be with friends i need to be you know uh, you know it's like the more support i have you know like the more i can be with in the family in a way that's grounded connected where i can witness my child you know like be mm. with her sit with her listen where i can really you know i think a lot of people need to learn how to what it means to rear a child it's not just feeding them and, and putting a roof over their head you know there's a lot involved there and you've got, yeah. you've had four so I yeah not I just providing be, be calling you up asking for advice as well <laughs> so. well i mean i think like you said a good enough father you know like i think um many things that i didn't do very right and, and one of the things that i do like i share with my clients is you know a lot of people parent from their own pain they try to give their kids everything that they never got or they try to save them from going through everything that they went through and then the child just feels overwhelmed because it's like i want to live my own 
I don't want to be me. I don't want to fucking live in fear of what happened to you. And, you know, so I think this projection can, you know, can impact a child so much. So I think, like you said, it's just, you know, we can get lost in trying to provide and trying to do everything right and forget about just being with them, you know, because they want us to be. They want us to see the world through their eyes, you know, to, to you know, enjoy their values in the way that they enjoy their values and not impose my values in on top of them, you know finding out what, what their values are and what they love and, you know, like, and talking to them and communicating them in terms of that is gold, you know, like, I got to do this with, with my younger one and um, and find out what she really loves in life, you know, and I miss that with my with the elder two, you know, I miss that with um, with my other kids and it's like, um, and it definitely shows in the relationship, you know, like, uh, I was able to rebuild that for a period of time, you know, afterwards, which was beautiful and, but there's years that I'll never get back, you know, there's, and I mean that's also gold in a way because I you know that that serves as well you know like in terms of the, the pain that I got to experience there is also useful in terms of what I do now so it definitely is it's definitely balanced in that way but yeah man there's there's so much learning to be had there and it's like you said we're always learning yeah you know it's hard being you know in the world and it's you know it's it's hard being in a when you say yes to a committed relationship you know, there's, you know, to really be in a committed relationship, you'd have to know that there's work involved, uh, unless you just want to be boats that pass at nighttime at the kitchen table, you know, um, and there's a lot of work involved in, in understanding what it means to be, a, to be a parent, you know, and, and, and the, the thing is about, Hey, like, so, you know, there's so many parents I work with and one of the main arguments is the parenting styles, for example, you know, how they got parented would be different than how their uh, partner uh, got parented and the, the parent, they, they have conflict around how to do it. Mm-hmm. But there's so many different things that happen when you bring people together to bring another little being into the world. And yeah. and over the years and with, with my uh, therapy clients or, or people, group participants that it's when they can be with other people and, and learn to just share the struggle. And, you know, so many of us think that we're all alone with it. You know, like it's just mm. us, you know, it's just, it's like, it feels so insular. It feels so mm. contracted, but when we can let that out, it's, yeah. there's more of the, you know, I have a men's group that's been running out about a year and a half every week. And there was a man, one of the guys said, you know what, you were right. Nigel. he says like, I didn't realize that both being with men, like being vulnerable and intimate with men, how I could bring that back into my romantic relationship with my wife and mm-hmm. how I can bring it back into my relationship with my sons. And and he says that it, it was something that he laughed at in the initial opening. He thought, like, hey, man, what's this guy talking about? He's, a, he's, a, he's full of it. And then after, he's now ended a year and a half, and he came around and he says, man, he says, like, my wife wants to invite you around for dinner. And I says, well, that's nice, but you know, it's a, it's a boundary infringement, but thank her anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that things are going well. So to the, to the viewers here, Hey, we can't do this thing called life by ourselves. And, and I think the thing that I'm seeing more and more in my practice, like you had a busy day in the clinic today. And one of the themes of today was like, coming together in small groups and communities is what the world needs right now whether it's dealing with our own world or partners relational dynamics whether it's to deal with the the uncertainty of the world we're living in you know and how it's been uncertain for a while you know uh, a wise friend of mine philip mentioned earlier how to how to make friends with uncertainty 
you know like how do we do that you know so when we come mm. together and we're not all isolated in our own minds about how to fix it or how to avoid it but when we talk about it and we sit with people and we share it somehow we can not know together and find a way well i love that somehow we can not know together that's so cool and i think you know like in terms of like you said about the you know being together in that i recently did a um a couples retreat where we just decided like four couples to go away and do a, you know like a, a getaway where we decided to drop in and just get real about our relationships and there was so much healing and realizing these other couples were struggling with a similar thing you know like the same things that we were struggling with and and pretending everything was good like in public and you know, and then when we started to talk and get real, it was like, holy fuck, I thought it was just like, a, I mean, I'll get that in the men's groups that happens all the time. I didn't realize this was going on in our relationship and how healing that was, you know, to realize, my God, you know, this is just life, you know, like, and it's nice to do life with people who are transparent and open and vulnerable and willing to let me into that life and, and vice versa. Hmm. Yeah, man, you know, transparent, vulnerable, you know, I come from a part of the world where everybody's private, you know, it's like, mm. you know, they, they, they celebrate their privacy, you know, and, uh, you know, it's an, it's, it's a choice, you know, and I think, you know, I wouldn't use a different word than privacy. I would use in my, I'll just speak about myself and like whenever I've, I've been private, you know, I was hiding. You know, I was uh, uh, dealing with shame or guilt, but the way I used to hide a lot was posturing. I would try to be larger than life. I would try to, um, you know, have this image where everything is okay. You know, I would be the opposite of how I would be feeling. Again, that's that working from the deficit, you know, like trying to hide almost the opposite of what's actually going on. The same as what you talked about, how the addiction took away the very uh, the essence of who you were and it's a uh, soft illuminations of of like freedom and took it away the inhibitions like it, it dampened everything so for me like hiding or being private or be it being behind a mask of some kind was uh it never really worked it kind of created the very thing i least wanted to happen which was always conflict uh anxiety tension and, and isolation and uh, so, yeah, it takes a lot of courage to be able to be transparent. It takes a lot of courage to be uh, vulnerable and talk to other other people. And that sounded like a really beautiful retreat that you that you had been part mm -hmm. of, Dean. That's it takes courage for couples. It's hard for uh, an individual, but then it's also really like challenging and beautiful to have mm -hmm. couples want to, you know, because it's like something they've developed together. It's almost like people. You know, I do supervision for clients, uh, therapists and, you know, priests and psychologists and, and, and whatnot. And it's like, it's like the, it's so protected their work. It's hard to allow somebody in to look at it. It's the same with yeah. the relational landscape. It's like it takes courage to let someone take a look in and it's like, whoa, or, you know, like, and, and the beauty. And I think the beauty is just trusting the unknown, trusting that, you know, let's try something different. That's trusting that, you know, it's not working the way it's working right now. We all need help. We all get stuck. And we all have struggles, you know? So, yeah, man. That and was, that's uh, what that's people can relate to, yeah? I think, like, I made this mistake.
being a professional and to be able to work with people that, you know, I had to have it all together and people, you know, had to see me as being a professional and having it all together and I couldn't share my vulnerabilities or, you know, I had to be an expert all the time. And I was like, fuck, it was so hard to maintain that, you know, like I couldn't maintain that. And then realizing the more I open up and share and, and you know, like and, and share my, my vulnerabilities and that I'm, you know, where I'm really, you know, not, not doing well. You know, then my clients can relate to that. People can relate to that and actually um, connect with that and at a more human level, you know. This has been yeah, beautiful thing. Then can you tell us a little bit more as we're and we've got we've got about maybe you know ten minutes or so left. Can you fill us in a little bit more? So I really um I want the public to really get value here to really understand about the educational, you know, aspect of your work how they can reach you in the different uh, platforms that you operate from and, and, and a distilled version, like what is it that you bring to the table for someone or for a group of people? What is that that you bring in? I think like for me, the, the gold is like, it's, it's actually, well, you're just describing it right now with a cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's describing it, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's actually helping somebody find the gold in themselves is, is like um, is amazing. It's the best thing I get to do with people. Like I, I, I love, you know, the fact, like I said before, the fact that I just get to be me um, and by being me, it's, you know, it's it's bringing value to, to other people. So... There's a number of number of ways I do that. Like I have, um, you know, like I do. I have online programs, addiction programs. Um, one for people who are struggling with addiction, a 16-week program that they can do in the privacy of their own home. Um, and it's a, again, it's not about the addiction. It's about what's missing, the void, how they got into that, you know, how I got into that. It was all the gold that I've learned from the um, rehabilitation centers and the clients I work with, then, but also some of the the more cutting-edge stuff that I work with. Um, and then I have a 12-week online program for people who are looking after people with addiction because quite often they're the ones who are struggling more, you know, parents and siblings and, you know, and, and partners. And I realized, you know, like the hell that my partner had to go through. So to hear it from my point of view, you know, like um, I think it's, it's kind of, yeah, there's some gold in that. So um, I realized as well a lot of the stuff that they do out of love, you know, because they care about this person but it tends to push the person further into the addiction and enable them. So it's about how not to do that and how to manage themselves and look after themselves best, you know, with, with somebody, you know, looking after somebody with addiction. Um, and then, yeah, I have the book shoot up. I have, um, I do coaching programs. I like, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have a high-end coaching program. I do just like one-to-one uh, -one sessions. Um, the quantum shift process that I experienced that changed my life, you know, was the best thing that I did. I get to do with people. I do that in a, and a one-to-one -one private session as well. Um, and for me, that was like, you know, I was thinking I was 40 at the time, so it was like 40 years of therapy for me, you know, like just seemed to roll up my whole life into this one moment. That was like, wow, um, was incredible for me. So, yeah. yeah, that's mostly what I do. So, Group Dean, work, what was that? You cut out a little bit. Just want to really get, let the clients hear that last piece there. Like, what was that thing that was 40 years worth of therapy in like one session? Like, what, uh, was that the quantum work? Was it? Quantum shift, yeah. It's a quantum shift process. So, it's a, it's a process that actually, I mean, that specifically nails something that's happened, you know, like, a, like for this moment for me back in childhood that created or that started the. the 
the social line about myself that started the void, the emptiness that I was, you know, that I kept trying to fill for the rest of my life. So I was going back to that one moment. So I now get to do that with people. So the gold in me hanging around with these people and actually working with MJD seminars for a while, um, I got really good at this and, and got really good at, um, at, at working with people and then going through the addiction center and all the training I did there, being able to sit with people and be in that space. You know, like I think this was a, this was the, the most valuable training that I got. So yeah, it enables me to do what I, to love what I do and do what I love, bro. Like you, yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, well, just, you know, Dean, just sitting with you, like just, and I don't get to sit with you enough mm. and I need to look at that. But just sitting with you is enough for me to feel something that makes me want more. So that on top of everything else, if anybody's watching who has struggles, uh, needs support, you know, feels like um, in some way they 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 could they could they need help. Uh, we'll have all the information in the feed below. Um, and just to finish up here, Dean, like what would be something if you could say something to? to people in need, whether it's somebody with addiction or somebody who's struggling or somebody's in pain, somebody who's lost, somebody who's grieving, what would be something you would say to them that would be important for their hearts to hear? Look, I, I would say talk to somebody. You know, reach out and every time I hear of somebody committing suicide and we had had one recently in our in our small town that we live you know somebody had it all together and done, a, and done a lot of work and it was just like i just think you know if i could have if i could have spoken with this person or if i had this person in group or you know like and i know i can't save the world and you know like it's not about that but it's, it's realizing that you know i think it's those times where i was struggling the most that i never told anyone about what i was going through you know, like, and, and then I did it on my own and it became, you know, like, and it was such a struggle. Instead of just letting someone in, you know, so pick up the phone and make sure it's somebody, though, that can hear that, you know, not somebody who has, has shown me my whole life they can't be there, you know, they can't hear or accept that or doesn't know what to do with that, so they throw back a projection or, you know, but maybe somebody who does know what they're doing, you know, maybe it's, a, you know, a counsellor or somebody, you know, an expert in that field or, or, you know, maybe it is a friend that can just listen, you know, but actually just to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, Dean, I love that. You know, and I think, you know, I, I remember uh, hearing uh, a group of men from Northern Ireland talking about how difficult it was to, to have someone to talk to and how anyone they talked to would either be able to, it, the, but let's just put it like this, the advice is that they were given and the problem solving techniques didn't work. And they were really feeling disen, disheartened with the idea of otherness and, and helping and, and reaching out. And, you know, and the thing I said, well, if you don't have anyone around you who understands the struggle you're in, like find someone who you can and give it time, you know, mm. give it time with a new therapist. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, you know, mm. give it time. You're worth it. You know, you're worth that time. Invest in yourself. You can't do this by yourself and and Dean thank you thank you for this um, opportunity to get to know you get to feel you and I hope anybody who's watching gets to feel or gets to experience a modeling of a way of being is just being raw real vulnerable and open and what a way to live you know it doesn't mean that life's always going to be easy but at least it's it's enlivening 
and, and when you're enlivened and you can engage with life. So, Dean, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. And for anybody who's listening uh, or anyone who is um, having a sort of uh, watching this in a replay, can you put in the comments things that you might want us to talk about in the future? And I, Dean's going to be back in here again, whether he likes it or not. We're going to get him in again because we need this sort of um, we need this energy yeah. in here. And um, so anything that you'd like along these lines or anything at all that you would like us to talk about where you're struggling, where you need help, where you feel stuck, please reach out. So, Dean, thank you, brother. Thank you for setting the stage, setting the bar. Uh, I'll see you soon, bro. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Nigel. Thank you. Thank you. So, here we are. That was a ride. I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm so excited and still buzzing from that interview with Dean. Dean modeling sort of vulnerability, you know, just humble, being humble, you know, being, being honest, like what it takes to be honest, you know, what it takes to be transparent. So I think, you know, for the, for the viewers here, just to take a moment after this podcast ends and slow down and feel into what spoke to you here today. Uh, feel into did something get moved did something get started what caught your attention you know what what touched you and allow you a little bit of time to honor that and sit with that be with that for anybody who's watching we're going to do this every week um, different topics different people sometimes we'll have a group here uh, uh, coming together doing some unusual things, um, some, uh, some of the same of what we've explored today, some, some different stuff that we have in the pipeline. So yeah, thank you for taking the time to listen if you're here live or if you're watching a replay. It feels a real honor to be here with you all. And if you've got anything from this uh, podcast, please sit with it, honor whatever it is that's happening in your body if something happened. And I'll see you again next week. You know, take care, reach out, don't be alone. Uh, you matter. You really matter. Thank you.